If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 4, please. Gospel of Luke chapter 4. Well, it was July 4th, 1989. I was the high school pastor here at our beloved church. And uh, we were doing a summer camp with our high school kids and bunch of kids from other churches uh, up at the Twin Peaks Conference Center, where we now do our family camps. Um, back then, we used to do high school camp up there. And our guest speaker that morning at the retreat was Pastor John Corson. And uh, after his two messages, uh, he and I, I just met him that day, but we snuck off campus to go and get lunch together at this uh, cafe there in Blue Jay up in the mountains. And it would really be the beginning of what would become a wonderful friendship and really a mentorship for me that has lasted 28 years. But it was a day that I would never forget for two reasons. The first was, it was that day that Pastor John had asked me to pray about coming to the Northwest, up to Oregon, to plant a a church, to plant a Calvary Chapel. And so that began to be, for my wife and I, the beginnings of our praying about moving to the Northwest, which we would do two years later. But it was also a day that I would never forget, because as John and I were talking, there was a group older group of people that were sitting in the booth next to us and they were, you know, talking, but they were kind of eavesdropping in on our conversation. And as we got up to leave, they stopped us and they said to John, they said, it's really, really nice to hear two young guys. They kind of were looking at me when they said that, Um, (laughs) but see two young guys talking about Jesus. And in total John Corson fashion, I'll never forget this because it really impacted my life. He knelt down on one knee so he could kind of get eye level with them. And he said, who better to talk about on this day where our nation is celebrating our independence than the one who has given us true independence? And that marked me. In fact, every single 4th of July Since that date, I remember, I think about that conversation, that moment. And it really made me never look at the 4th of July the same. The Lord put on my heart tonight to share, in light of that, in light of the fact that yesterday we were celebrating our nation's independence, to spend some time tonight in talking about the liberty that we have in Christ the freedom that we have in Christ. And so I asked you to turn to Luke chapter 4. And in the setting here of Luke chapter 4, it's after the baptism of Jesus. It's after he is led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, where he's tempted um, by the devil for those 40 days and 40 nights. And now he's coming back to begin his public ministry. And we pick it up in verse 14. It says, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And news of him went out through all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And so he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, his hometown. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. 
And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Gospel means good news. The good news to the poor. And he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So here Jesus comes into the synagogue there in Nazareth and quoting from the book of Isaiah, he really outlines what his ministry for the next three years was really going to be about. That it was going to be about healing the brokenhearted, that it was going to be about setting people free, the captives and the oppressed. It was going to be about proclaiming the good news in the acceptable year of the Lord. It was going to be about giving sight to those who were blinded, blinded by sin, and those who were also physically blinded. And you know, as I think about this, I think about all of us, especially, you know, prior to coming to Christ, we all, every single one of us, were in need of healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing. I think all of us in this room, we could say that at one point or sometime or another, we've had our hearts broken. In fact, I meet people every single week who are broken hearted. It can be because maybe a death in the family. It can be because of a a breakup in a relationship. It can be because of a betrayal in a relationship. But it causes them to just have hearts that have been broken. Some kind of setback. Well, Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. Jesus came to proclaim liberty, freedom to the captives. And all of us were captives. In fact, some still are. Captives to things like pride or lust or addictions or bitterness. You know, it's been said that every single one of us is alive you can check right now, just breathe into your hand. <laughs> like all of us in this room, we're alive. But the question is, are we all living? And some people aren't living because they're in bondage. They're captives to something, something that, that holds them. It was William Wallace who said, everyone dies, but not everyone lives. That's a true statement. And I see too many people not living because there's something that is holding them captive. Well, Jesus came to set the captives free. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that more abundantly. Jesus came to set free those who are oppressed. And people are oppressed. They're oppressed by guilt because of their sin. Guilt because they know that they have broken God's commandment or they've done something that has caused them to feel shame and the guilt because of it. Oppressed by fear and then oppressed by the devil. The devil who likes to whisper things in our ears and then he gets to the point where he's no longer whispering, but he's screaming. But Jesus came to set the captives free. 
to give freedom to those who are oppressed. And, and what I want to do tonight is consider some of the things that Jesus has set us free from. We're going to look at four specific things really quickly. The verses will be on the screen, but you can jot them down. The first thing that we see in Scripture that I want to point out tonight that Jesus has set us free from is the power of sin and death. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 reads this way in the New Living Translation. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. It's an awesome scripture. New King James puts it this way. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And listen, if you've given your heart to Jesus tonight, you are in Christ. You have been placed in him and his righteousness covers you so that when God looks at you, he sees you in the righteousness of his son. There's, yeah, praise God, right? There is therefore now no condemnation, he says, for those that belong to Christ. And because you belong to him, I love this, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you. Let me hear you say freed you. Freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Now, I love this. He says the Spirit of God is a life-giving Spirit. That's what happens when we come to Christ. The Spirit of God comes to live inside of us and bring to life our spirit which was dead. That's what He does. He brought our spirit to life. And get this, His Spirit, Paul tells us, has power to help us live for Jesus. Remember prior to coming to Christ, or maybe even recently, you found yourself saying something like, I could never change this. Or I'll I'll never be able to get a handle on that. I can never change in this way. All of us, I think, at a time or two have said that or thought that about ourselves. I'll never, ever be able to change. But then what happened? Well, the same power that helped Jesus Christ conquer the grave is living inside of you and living inside of me. And it allowed us, it gave us the power to break that thing that we never, ever thought that we could get a handle on. I I look at my buddy over here, Gene Boyer, who had a very long alcohol addiction. And his wife, Kathy, prayed for him and prayed for him. And we prayed for him and prayed for him. And and Jesus set him free. Amen, Gene? (laughs) And I'm sure there were times that he thought, I'm never, ever going to be able to get free of this. I'm never, ever going to break free from this. But Jesus, think about that. The same power. It's the Spirit of God. And through the Spirit of God, the same power that brought Jesus out of the grave did what no one else has ever been able to do. That same power is available to us. And it's because of that, His power has set us free from sin. He's greater. Things that we were in bondage to, He set us free. Think of it this way. We could go down to Lindbergh Field there in San Diego And all over the place, we would see jets on the ground, not in the air. I mean, we would see jets in the air, too. But but there's a lot of jets, if you're there at the airport, you know, on the ground. Why is that? 
Well, they weigh 735,000 pounds. I looked that up today. And uh, (laughs) I was astonished by that. It's kind of incredible, right, to think about 735,000 pounds. But they're on the ground because they're under the power of gravity. They're not going anywhere because the law of gravity is keeping them on the ground. But as soon as their engines are turned on, the law of aerodynamics takes over. And although gravity is still in effect and still pulls on those planes, there's a higher law, a law that is more powerful at work than the law of gravity that allows those 735,000 pound planes to get off the ground and to fly us all the way to Maui. We're leaving tomorrow. Does that sound great? You want to come? No, I'm not leaving, but that'd be awesome, right? If that, (laughs) and it does that. And we sit there and we eat our peanuts and, you know, drink our diet Coke and we think nothing of it. And, but the law of aerodynamics is superseding the law of gravity because it's greater. And this is what Paul is saying for us is that Jesus, his spirit lives inside of us and it's his spirit inside of us, enabling us to fly and overcome the law of sin and death. Isn't that amazing? Now we're celebrating. And that's why Jesus could say so emphatically in John chapter 8, verse 36, when he said this, that he who the sun sets free is free what? Indeed. Indeed. It's like it's emphatic. It's like, hey, you can bank on this. And so Jesus, his spirit, the spirit of life inside of us set us free from the number two. We've been set free from what I would call performance based religions. Galatians chapter five in Galatians chapter five, verse one. The author, Paul, writing to the Galatians says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Now, here's the problem. Here's what was going on in Galatia. In Galatia, there were these men called Judaizers. And the Judaizers were men who basically said that in order to be a Christian, You also had to convert to Judaism. And the way that you would do that is by becoming circumcised. So it was a lot more difficult for the men, okay, (laughs) to to buy into that. But that was their thing. Hey, if you really want to be saved, if you really, it's awesome that you've given your life to Jesus, but you also need to, to follow Judaism and you need to be circumcised. And so the whole letter of the book of Galatians is written to refute that. It's written to refute, it's written to teach us, it's written to remind us that salvation is in Jesus alone. Not Jesus plus something else. Not Jesus in observing the Jewish festivals, or not Jesus in keeping the Sabbath, not Jesus in any of those things. Now, before we're too hard on the Galatians, we can be guilty as well of adding things to our salvation. Our message sounds like this. A real Christian doesn't fill in the blank. A real Christian doesn't smoke. Or a real Christian doesn't drink. 
Or a real Christian doesn't listen to secular music. And we think, well, what's secular? I mean, Mozart, he wasn't a Christian, but, you know, I can't listen to Mozart, you know, or... But we do that. We, we tend to, we throw these, or, we, or we'll say something like, or a real Christian does this. A real Christian is somebody who reads his Bible and prays every single day. Now, that's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to do. But it doesn't make God love you anymore. Or less. It's good. It's good for your faith. Strengthens it. It's good for your relationship with God. But it doesn't make him love you anymore. It's good for your spiritual health. But you are not more or less saved if you do that. You'll get closer to the Lord, but you're not more or less saved. And anytime we are attaching something to the saving work of Christ to affect our standing with God the Father, this is what we do. We cheapen the work of Christ. We say that what Jesus did on the cross wasn't enough, so I need to also do this. But what Jesus did, he, what did he, what did he, I always say this, what did he say when he was on the cross? It is what? Finished. Finished. It's done. And Paul writes here to the Galatians and he says, stand fast. Stand firm, therefore, in the liberty, the freedom by which Christ has made us free. And don't entangle yourself again with these yokes of bondage. These things that you attach to your faith. Stand firm. Now think about it. I want you to think about that for a minute. What, what does that mean? Well, we think of standing firm, like, okay, a guy on a football field on the line, he's digging in. He's going to stand firm. I'm protecting the line. I'm holding my, my ground. I mean, that, that definitely is a picture of it. We're standing firm in that way. Like, I'm not going to be moved. I'm not going to be swayed. I think we could also say, though, to stand firm is to celebrate something. It's like my wife and I, we, we celebrate our love in marriage. We celebrate it on our anniversary. We do something special to celebrate our anniversary. Our 31-year anniversary is a week from yesterday, okay? Coming up. Now, we don't always do it on the day, but we sometime around there, we do something to celebrate you know, our anniversary. We, we celebrate it on our birthdays. We celebrate each other. We celebrate it on Valentine's Day. We celebrate it on Mother's Day and Father's Day. We celebrate it on National Dessert Day. Uh, did you know there is a such thing? There is. We celebrated it this year at BJ's. You know, BJ's and Carlsbad, they have these things called bazookies. Yeah. <laughs> you can get the bazooki trio. It's like three different flavors. Scoop of ice cream on each one. We celebrated our love on National Dessert Day. Okay. We celebrate it every day. Just that like, man, you know, it's a way to stand firm. It's like it's, it's acknowledging, it's affirming that, hey, man, I love this woman. I'm committed to her. We celebrate that. We, we celebrate it. We, we want to elevate when you are passionate about something. You're standing firm in it. We have a conviction. Some of you guys are fanatical about your teams. And you'll just, you know, almost come to blows. Like, you know, you want to talk about my team? Come on, you know, especially you Raider fans. I mean, you guys just, you know, go off in that way, right? Glad you're moving to Vegas. <laughs> it's 
very fitting. <laughs> but it's that idea of, hey, I'm pa- what are you passionate about? Are you passionate about Jesus? Stand firm. Elevate it. Celebrate it is the idea. And we want to do that tonight. Now, note this, though. With freedom comes responsibility. In Galatians 5, verse 13, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The New Living Translation puts it this way. Don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Here's what Paul's reminding us. Yes, we are free, but we are free to a higher calling. And the higher calling that we have in our freedom is to love one another and to serve one another. In the book of 1 Corinthians, he talks about it in this way. When the whole, there's this whole debate over, should we eat meat sacrificed to idols or not? And there were some who said, man, if we do that, it's like we're participating in the idol worship. If we do that. And there were others who said, no, you know, an idol's nothing. It's just a piece of wood or a piece of stone. And that's a great piece of meat. You know, we should eat it. And so this big debate was happening. Now, it is interesting that Paul said the person who looked at the idol and saw it, you know, uh, the meat sacrifice to the idol and the idol being and thinking like, okay, this is like sacrificing. He said he called that person the weaker brother. That's interesting because I think most of us would think like that's the more mature guy wanting to be so spiritual. You know, he wants to separate himself from everything. And Paul said, that's actually the weaker brother. The more mature brother is the one who realizes, hey, we're free in Jesus to do whatever we want to. We want to love Jesus and we don't need to get hung up on all these things. And that's not an idol. It's just a piece of wood. But then Paul said this, but if my liberty is going to cause my brother to stumble... In Romans 14, he puts it this way. If my liberty causes my brother to be offended, which is an important thing to note, because a lot of times people will say when we're talking about liberty, it's like, well, I'm not causing somebody to sin by doing this. They just don't like it. Well, Paul says if you, in Romans 14, I think it's verse 21, if you offend them, that's a problem. Paul says, look, if I'm causing my brother to stumble or be offended, I will sacrifice my liberty. In fact, Paul said this, I'll never eat meat again. I'll become a vegan, you know. If it's a sacrifice causing my brother or sister to stumble, and then he adds this because when I sin against my brother, I'm sinning against Jesus. So there's a a freedom. We have freedom, but it comes with responsibility. And our responsibility is, is we need to keep in mind that we're to love each other, to build up each other, encourage one another, and be willing to sacrifice in order to do that. So we're set free from performance-based religion. Number three, we're set free from fear. Romans chapter 8, verse 15, he says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And Abba means what, church? Daddy. So here's what he's saying. You've been set free. And God's spirit is inside of you. And this is what he's doing every day. He's crying out, Daddy. 
That's a cry of intimacy, right? You've heard me say this before in Jewish culture. A Hebrew child would only refer to their father as daddy in the privacy of their home because it was intimate. Out in public, it was more formal. It was father or it was sir. But in the confines of the home, on his lap, armed little boy, arms around you know, his father's neck, it would be daddy. And the Lord is saying, God's spirit, the spirit of life, The spirit that that gives you power over sin is also inside of you. And he's crying out on a daily basis, daddy, daddy. He hasn't given us, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control or a sound mind. Now, here's what's interesting. He's telling us here that we have been set free from fear. He's telling us that in Christ, our our freedom and our relationship with Jesus, the liberty that we have, there's a confidence in that. Now, when you see a child who knows that his or her parents love him, not in a weird type of way like we sometimes see today. My kid's the greatest. You know, he doesn't do anything wrong. And, you know, he's a spoiled brat. Um, not, not in that kind of way. But just the sense of, you know, parents who, you know, they know how to discipline, but they also, you know, they love him. They, you know, they spank him when he has to get a spanking. And they say, you know, I just want you to know I love you. You see those kids and there's a confidence. There's an assurance There's a way that they carry themselves like, man, I know my mom and dad are for me. I see it sometimes in ladies here in the church. Why? Married ladies. It's interesting. Yeah, I can tell a lot of times when a woman is loved greatly, loved well by her husband. You know why? She walks with an air. A sense of confidence, a sense of just knowing that, man, my husband loves me and he thinks I'm beautiful. And she carries herself in that type of way. And you can sometimes tell when a woman isn't that way because she doesn't carry herself in that way. There's much more of a just a sense of always feeling like, man, I don't measure up. This is what he's saying is, hey, there's a a sense of freedom from from fear, freedom of confidence that we have in Jesus and knowing that we are well loved, that we are accepted in the beloved. And then finally, number four, we have a freedom to boldly approach God. Ephesians 3 verse 12, New Living Translation says this, Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. And most of you know, throughout all of Israel's history for 2,000 years, For 2,000 years, Israel would sacrifice in the tabernacle and sacrifice in the temple. And between the holy place and the holy of holies was this giant veil. And the veil stood as a wall because there was only one person, only one day of the year, the day of atonement, who could go through the veil and into the holy of holies where the Shekinah glory of God dwelt. And that was the high priest. And only if he was, you know, his life had been pure. 
But on the day that Jesus died on the cross, the day that he hung there, the day that he cried out for us and he declared, it is finished, and Father, I, into your hands I commit my spirit, he breathes his last. And at that moment, that veil in the temple is ripped from top to bottom. Not like somebody came and ran a sword through it, but somebody reached up because it was high. And from the very top, God reaching down, ripped that in two. And what was he declaring? What was he saying? Is now, saint and sinner, it's open house. You are welcome tonight in my presence. And we can come to him, church. And as we take this time to worship him tonight, as we take this time to wait on him tonight, I want you to know, let's celebrate the fact that I don't care what kind of day you've had. And maybe you just came in here just feeling, man, I just, I lost my temper today. And I did something to my wife I shouldn't have said. And I got mad in traffic, whatever it might be. God's saying, come boldly. Hebrews puts it this way. Come boldly to the throne of grace that you might receive mercy. In your time of need. Are you in need tonight? The Lord says. He doesn't say stay away. He says come boldly. That's the freedom. That we have in Christ. See it's not because. We're holy. In and of our flesh. But it's because. He's holy. And his holiness is applied to us. And so the Lord says. Come. Come. It's open house. You know, some people have on their front door mats that say, welcome. God has a giant welcome sign into his presence. And he invites us to come tonight. Knowing, celebrating that we're set free from sin. Set free from performance-based religion. Set free from fear. And free. To come boldly into his presence. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the freedom that we have in Jesus. That Jesus, the, your spirit, the spirit that, that brought you out of the grave has set us free from sin. Set us free from performance-based religion. And we find our acceptance not in what, who we are, but in who you are. That you've set us free from fear. And you've set us free to come boldly before you. And tonight we want to do that. As we bring our hearts before you tonight, God. In just a few minutes, Pete's going to begin to lead us in worship. And we're going to celebrate for a little bit. And I'm going to ask our pastors and some of our elders that are here tonight to go and hang out in the back by the communion tables that are directly behind you here in the center. And during this time, as we're just singing and worshiping, if you feel you, know, you're, you want some prayer, they'll be back there. But as we celebrate, let's celebrate by partaking of communion. What Jesus did for us, his, his body broken, his blood that was shed. And after we sing for a little bit, we're going to just take some time to kind of wait upon the Lord. And, and, and Paul in the book of Corinthians said that when we gather together, 
and the body together. It's a time where the body gets to minister to one another. That one has a word, a word of wisdom, word of knowledge. One has a prophecy, another has a tongue, another has an interpretation of a tongue. And we believe here at Calvary Chapel that the gifts are for today. And so that that God works by his spirit through the body. And we want to give opportunity for that tonight. And so as we're waiting upon the Lord, when we come to that time, and we're just going to pause and we say, you know, God put something on your heart that you want to share. God might use you tonight with a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge or a word of prophecy. It could be a scripture that's read or just something God's put upon your heart. It might be for somebody in this room that it's the very thing that just is going to put them over in a good way. Just confirming what the Spirit's been speaking to their hearts. And so we just want to be open to that tonight as we wait upon him and as we worship him together. So let's do that.